Welcome into another week of the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your co-host, Will Harib, joined by Joe and Jack Wilkie. Uh, I've got a scintillating episode lined up for everybody today. Before we get to that. Scintillating. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah, I like I know, it. I, I, I've been thinking about what adjective I wanted to use. So that's that's what I came up with. Um, before we get to that, though, we wanted to say a couple things. First of all, just an enormous thank you uh, to all of our supporters, to all of those who um, maybe you were on social media. Uh, what has it been now? Uh, I guess about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And you saw that uh, we were in need of some money. Um, there were... There was a period where we thought we weren't going to meet payroll for the month, and that was basically for the first time in the company's history. Um, a lot of posts went out, uh, basically, you know, asking for help. And man, did our supporters come through! We are incredibly grateful um, for all of you who did donate to to and for all of you who did financially support us for that uh, trial period for that uh, period of uh, desperate need. And so, we wanted to start this episode out by graciously thanking everybody. Um, but then we also wanted to just let everybody know, again, this is something that we're more excited than ever at all the content that we're getting to uh, promote, all the content that we're getting to push out. I think the last couple episodes, we previewed two new books. We've got another one that we're going to be previewing um, and kind of letting you know about in uh, today's episode a bit later on. Uh, so new books coming out. Obviously, we rolled out Focus Plus, our Patreon service earlier this year uh, on May 1st, um, obviously podcasts every single week, articles every single week, just so much stuff going out. And and we are tremendously excited that we are in a position to be able to put that stuff out. But as we talked about in the in the social media posts and as we continue to let everybody know that stuff does take money. And so um obviously we understand it's it's tough economically for a lot of people, but if you are in a position to uh support us whether that be monthly through just a donation or whether that be through that's one of the reasons we started Focus Plus actually as well is if you're just looking for hey you know, I, if I cancel my Disney Plus subscription, like uh, like we've talked about before, and you're able to throw $10 a month at Focus Plus, um, you get great return for it. It's not just, you know, going out into space. You're obviously getting a lot of great content for that. And so, again, kind of a two-sided thing there. We're very grateful for all the support. We, we thank you so much for those of you who did donate. But we wanted to let everybody know the need is still there. So, um, But without, without any further ado, I am going to go ahead and get us into the episode again. We're so grateful for everybody who supports us by listening, and we plan to we plan to keep doing this podcast for um, the foreseeable future. Just put it that way. We enjoy it um, probably more than the, we probably enjoy recording it more than people actually enjoy listening to it. It's it's a lot of fun for us. But uh, with that being said, the scintillating episode that we've got for today is about masculinity. March twenty eighth of twenty twenty two of last year, we did kind of a back to back episode arc of we one episode we called uh, toxic feminism, where we looked at kind of how the world has perverted, how society has perverted the roles of women and obviously has pushed the feminist agenda to the extreme and how that's affected the church. And then the other episode we did on March 28th was um, what we called Masculinity Matters, where we looked to the other side of the coin. How has society, how has culture perverted masculinity? And how is it, you know, toxic masculinity, of course, was the big phrase and how it's kind of shouted guys down quite a bit. And to be honest, why this matters and what we tried to illustrate in that episode or those two episodes, I should say, is how this spills into the church and how this is affecting our families is, you know, it's, it's one thing to be like, well, you know, that's what society, that's what culture thinks. That's what she's on social media. That doesn't really affect us. No, it absolutely affects us because it's affecting the way kids are raised. It's affecting the way husbands are leading their families. It's a way it's the, it's affecting the way wives are uh, behaving within the family. It's affecting church leadership. It's affecting us in so many ways. And so we felt it was time to address 
kind of that that whole topic again. We're not going to focus near as much on the female side for this episode. We're talking about the more the masculine side. Um, but I mean, masculinity has been something that has been the zeitgeist recently in our culture because of guys like Andrew Tate, who we're going to bring up a little bit later because of masculinity gurus that are out there telling guys, this is how you need to be, you know, kind of reclaim your masculine masculinity. And I'm just going to come out and and say, we very, I, I don't, I guess I shouldn't speak for you guys. I definitely affirm the fact that we as guys need to reclaim masculinity, that we need to take it back over from the culture that we need to, you know, redefine it from what they define it as and define it biblically because there is a masculinity epidemic in the church. I, I'm not going to just say in society, in the church, there is a masculinity epidemic. And so we're going to talk about that today. And what we're really going to zero in on is what we're calling, and it's not our term, but nice guy syndrome or nice guyism, if, if, you know, if you will. Um, the nice guy is something that I think we've talked about on this podcast before, but it's one of those, uh, I'm going to let Jack define it here in a second, but just kind of, it has appeal because like, who doesn't want to be a nice guy, right? I mean, that's, isn't that something that everybody should want to be is a nice guy. We're going to talk about the problems with that and, and why that is pretty well anti-biblical. So with that being said, Jack, I am going to turn it over to you to kind of give a more broad, or I guess more specific definition, less broad, more specific definition of what is nice guyism. When we talk about nice guy syndrome, what are we talking about? And why, and I guess if you want to go and get into, why is that a problem? Oddly enough, like this, this rise of masculinity guru culture, that exists because of nice guyism. Nice guyism is kind of the default mode and it's because of that, and it's not working, that people are looking, going, well, what, what does it mean to be a man? It's not this. So Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, who you know, whoever it is out there. And so what it is, is kind of this need for approval of just kind of, and this starts very young with, with kind of school-age boys. In fact, I, as I was thinking about it a couple of months ago, I was thinking, I think we mistermed it. That nice guy, because nice guy sounds good, like you said, people go, well, why wouldn't you want to be a nice guy? Are you telling men not to be nice? I think the the term that I prefer, and I, I had this in my head, and then I heard an expert who's written a book on it talk about it, and he said the same thing. And so I said, all right, I'm, I must be a genius. I've, I'm like, I'm- so you're claiming it. There you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I, you know, like <laughs> but I- But don't you I, hate that when somebody does take it? You're like, oh, I thought this was me. Somebody's, right. I thought I had figured a, me a, taking a it. Yeah. term to coin. But yeah, no, uh, good boy. You're a good boy. Uh, and, and what we mean by that is, you know, you, you think of a, a kid, a five-year-old little boy or whatever, just trying to get mommy's approval, trying to get the pat on the head. Everything he does is, is for the pat on the head. And so when a man brings this into his marriage, when he brings it into the church, when he brings it into the workplace, when he brings, it's his default attitude towards the world around him, man, you just see so many guys like this. And, and what ends up happening is they live with this expectation as a, as a kid, you get that. Well, if I'm a good boy. I get a treat. If I'm a good boy, I get to play video games. If I'm a good go boy, I get to go over to my friend's house or whatever. And so as an adult, well, if I'm a good boy, my wife will sleep with me. If I'm a good boy, people are going to like me. You know, if I'm a good boy, I'll, I'll get, you know, get a, a nice or a decent job. If I'm a good boy, like people will give me what I want. As a man, there is a degree to which you're supposed to go out there and assert, you know, what you want and not dominate, but like, when when you go out looking for a wife, you're not doing the please like me thing. But this is this manifests in something I've written about and people got mad that I wrote it, but I stand by it 100 percent. I don't deserve my wife. I don't know why she chose me, but I'm so glad she did. He's a good boy. You know, oh, OK, I'm, yep. I'm just going to do nice and I'll do, you know, clean up, you know, do some stuff around the house. So maybe she'll sleep with me. Maybe she'll, you know, pat me on the head and give me like. Who's the leader of this house? You, God called you to lead your family, but you've got this nice guy, good boy syndrome that 
totally flips the relationships up, upside down. How can you lead if you're constantly looking for approval? If you don't mm-hmm. have that that compass within yourself to say, I'm right with God, I'm going to do what I know that I should and lead the way for my family. If you're constantly looking for somebody to give you the pat on the back rather than doing the right thing for the right thing's sake. And so that's kind of a, a quick synopsis. Joe, is there something you'd add to it? I was just going to say, I think you hit on a very important element of this, which is I think it's created by absent dads and smothering moms in that, <clears throat> excuse me, you have and not moms just, that not are just really absent. I'm going to say real quick, just detached. There's a lot of dads that detached, were there, yeah. but just weren't involved. Yes. What I would call neglectful um, and neglect comes in different ways. Either you're paying attention to your phone all the time or you're working too much or or you're just not there. You're truly absent. Um, you're absent emotionally one way or the other, either physically or, or even in the home. And it's the moms that are, well, you need to be nice. Make sure to give it because this is a big one. And you see this like, and I don't want to go off on parenting, but like some kid comes up to take the kid that or the toy that your kid is playing with. Well, we need to be nice. And then you let him take It's like, well, you just told him I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get worked over type of thing because I got to be nice. I got to be a good boy. I've got to, I've got to make sure that everybody likes me. And so it's like, hold on a second. He just picked up that toy. He's not done playing with it. But it's that type of thing where the moms are coming forward. And yes, I'm going to get all the moms reaching out, hating on this. And, and I apologize. Not really, but I'm, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here. <laughs> but here's the thing. We have to create, and this I'm, I'm calling it on the dads, really. We have to create men from a very young age. And we have to create boys that aren't just good boys. They're not bad boys either. We're, we're going to get into that of what that looks like. But, but that has appeal for a reason. We want to create boys that are confident and competent in themselves. That starts with a dad taking a kid three, four, five years old and teaching them. You don't have to share the toy immediately. Now wrap up, you know, don't, don't keep it forever. Don't be a jerk about it, but we don't always have to be the nice boy. I think moms are really pushing this nice guy syndrome because, or the nice guy isn't because it suits. Well, a lot of times they're seeing it from their husbands, basically. Well, this might you know, another w- way that this manifests, and it's kind of a weird thing to bring up here, but I certainly see it is in sports media where you've got kind of a something that, that takes place. And it's almost like the male sportscasters are looking around going, OK, what, what's the what's the correct opinion here? What, what's going to get me the most mm-hmm. retweets on Twitter and the most like because there's a lot of females in sports media as well. They're usually the ones that are most and typically it's a woke issue is kind of what I'm thinking of, of something where it's identity politics and the a lot of the the female ones are out there, you know, for women. You see it with like guys that are the male sportscasters that are just all about the WNBA. Like, come on, guys, oh, man. You're, you're really not actually <laughs> about the WNBA, but it, it, that's the one of the ways it manifests itself is like, OK, what's what's going to get me the most likes? What's going to get me the most retweets and the most support by everybody? And man, it's it's just a terrible way to to like me and Joe had a godly young men episode very early on. where We talked about say the hard things. The nice guy never says the hard things. The nice guy never comes out and says anything that might be remotely controversial or anything that might remotely be against the grain or against the cultural uh, drift because, you know, again, he wants the approval. He wants everybody to look at him and say, yeah, you're you're in with the crowd. There's nothing, no stepping out on a limb with anywhere, anywhere in nice guyism. With using yours, because you love this illustration, love this point. It's, it tells so much about society. Simone Biles quitting on her team, quitting in the middle of the Olympics. And every guy had to come out. And and laud her and, and praise her for every being, guy in sports media. You know, yeah. all now, fellas, three of us are sitting here. <laughs> we're we're gentlemen, right? We're guys. Like 
you're looking at that. What's the first thing you think of as a guy? She quit on the team. She quit. I mean, yeah. she quit. Like there's she no, failed, there's no, what I would say. Wow. Praise in that. Like you failed And okay, sure. I'm a therapist. Look, I'm, I'm here for mental health as well, but that every guy in media coming out and praising it was such a nice guy take of well, like, nobody's willing to say the hard thing and go, hold on a second. She had people relying on her. And if she didn't have the mental capacity now, you do it before the Olympics and not, not during the Olympics when you let everybody down, including your country. Every guy is thinking it, but nobody's willing to say it because well, of nice guys. Another one, and I'll hand it to Jack real quick, is when Giannis, the player for the Milwaukee Bucks, came out and said after he choked in the playoffs, <laughs> hey, there, there's no there's no failure in sports, right? And again, all the female sportscasters that I follow and that I observed jumped on there, were all supportive. Well, then guess what the guys started to do? And not all of them. This one was a little bit more divided. But you know, as a lot of guys that were for, former athletes, they were looking at that going, are you kidding me? There's no way he's actually said that. But what did they have to right. do? They had to voice their support. And that's, again, that's this nice guy is manifesting. So uh, taking it to the uh, the home front, because people might be like, I don't watch sports, so I, I don't deal with this stuff. Happy wife, happy life. That's mm. the, the key phrase of nice guyism. And I, yep. uh, this is, I'm not kidding. I had Christians give me this advice when I was getting married that, all right, you need, oh, to, yeah. learn, you need to learn two phrases. You need to learn, I'm sorry, and you're yes, right. Dear. You know, like, yeah, yeah or, or yes, dear. dear. Yeah, those kinds of things. And that that's good boyism. That's, you know what? You just tell your wife you're sorry. Like, if I did something wrong, I will tell her I'm sorry. If I did not, I'm not. Because here's the thing that's under under all of these things. We're talking about the sports things, the, the tell your wife you're sorry or whatever. Lie to them. Yeah. Do not be honest about what really happened. Tell the lie. Go along with the lie. To keep people protect happy. the emotions, basically. Right, right. You know, she wants well, but here's the thing: a wife doesn't respect a husband that you both know you're lying. Okay, right. You both know you are. You lose the respect, and so you don't have her respect. Well, you know what you got to do? You got to behave just right and be a good boy. So you hope that she likes you. That she doesn't, you know, go looking for another guy. Doesn't send you to the couch or put you in the doghouse and all these things we've railed on before. And a happy wife, happy life is where this manifests. And there was this thing. Uh, you guys probably saw the headline a couple weeks ago. It was, it was a pretty big deal. This kid in Colorado had the Gadsden don't tread on me flag on his backpack mm -hmm. yeah. got in big trouble. And that image that went around, it became a meme of the kid like at the, the principal office meeting where he's just smiling, having a good time. And the teacher is giving him that that school marm look like, you know, you've been naughty kind of thing. And he's just living it up, you know, like having a good time. And Somebody coined this term. It goes back to matriarchal societies of the longhouse. And it's just women kind of ruling over everything. Everything has to fit their sensibilities. So, again, we got to lie and say, you know, this kid is being subversive or whatever else. And and he's supposed to go apologize. And like, yeah, not not going to do it. No, thanks. And say you're sorry. Move on. Do all those things. And one other uh, I'll take it back to sports for a second. The participation trophy. How mm. did that happen? Right. The longhouse, the, the, this this matriarchal thing of somebody saw a kid crying one time and I, you, you know, it was a mom said, well, let's give him a trophy, too. And no dad stood up and said, you don't get a trophy if you lose. I'm sorry. That, that's what motivates you to try and win the trophy next season is failure. Failure is a good thing. No, we got to coddle his feelings. And, and that's fine that she has that instinct. There's what that's why you have a mom. And that's why you have a dad. However, when you you sand down the rough edges of the masculinity and you don't need the dad, you end up with all these participation trophy kids. And so imagine one dad stood up and said, no, we're not giving them trophies. They lost. You know what would have happened? 
the moms would have gotten really mad at that dad. And then, you know what the next thing that was that happened? All of the nice guy dads went, come on, man, you're making this look bad. My wife's mad at me. Like, come on, this guy, that guy, what a, what a meanie. He, you know, yeah. there's no male fortitude there because there's no, no, they're all nice guys. And so this is how so, bad ideas like participation. And, and that's a silly example. We're going to get to how this works into the church, how it works into the home. It yeah. destroys everything because you can't tell the truth. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, I was going to say, like, let's talk about, though, what got us to this point, because you could argue feminism. And I certainly think feminism played a prominent role. But what got people to the point where it's almost like let's elevate the woman's opinion above everybody else's? Let's let's certainly let's devalue the man's man's opinion. Let's, you know, ridicule him, kind of make fun of him. We'll get into how you know rampant that is in church society. But do you guys think it was just feminism that got us to this point where the, 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 I guess, again, they always say they want equality. There's, there's no equality. It's, it's the, the woman kind of runs the show. Do you think it's because of the, the overcorrection from quote unquote male dominance? I mean, I don't think it's just feminism, but I'm having a hard time putting my finger on what el what other contributing factors could have gotten us to this point. I'll tell you what I think it is. And I may have gone off on this before. Around the turn, turn of the, what was that, 20th century? 1800s and the 1900s is when the women's movement really started suffrage movement, right? Like women's suffrage. Um, this is when prohibition was taking place, 1920, somewhere around there. And what did you see? You saw a lot of unruly men who were not ruling themselves very well at all. And this is why women came in. So you consider prohibition. That was a largely women-driven movement. Why? Because they're sick of coming home to their drunk husbands, to their drunk dads, beating them. So Men were guilty. Men realized, man, I've blown this one. This isn't good. And so they allowed women in to basically fix this, fix society for them because they weren't doing what they're supposed to. I think you had a lot of men broken from the war, civil war. Then you have, of course, World War One. There's a lot of issues there, a lot of broken men from that. World War II, same thing. Anytime you have broken men who are either feeling guilty or feeling so shell-shocked that they don't feel capable of leading their families, women come in and go, I'll just do it for you. And a lot of guys that go, Either my dad wasn't there, maybe he died in war, whatever it is. I don't have a roadmap. Yeah, go go for it, honey. She seems to know what she's doing. So women have always been inserting themselves, going all the way back to Eve into the conversation and really wanting to, to lead, which is part of the fall, right, in, in Genesis 3. And guys, when they feel incompetent or they feel guilty based off of the fact that they know they're not living right, they won't do it. It's the same thing. Look at, look at the porn epidemic today. How many guys are willing to take a leadership role in their home when they know that they've got a porn addiction? You're guilty. Right. And you know that you're not a leader. You can't take care of yourself. How in the world are you supposed to take care of your kids and your wife? Mm. So they, and, and women see this, they may not know that the guy's addicted to porn, but they see that vacuum of leadership. And because they want to take care of the family, guess who's going to step into that role? And the guy will never give it back because partly it's comfortable to not give it back. And second off, he's still got major skeletons in his closet. And he's afraid that if he steps up, all of those skeletons come out of the closet. So that's how I think we got here is guilt or incompetence. And men just sat back and said, women, go, go for it. You take the lead. And they were more than willing to do it. Well, the Adam and Eve thing, that, that's Satan's playbook. I mean, like that literally is, is how it works, because it's interesting. If he had gone to Adam, why didn't he go to Adam and be like, hey, dude, try this fruit. You're going to really like it. It's going to make you like God. It just didn't happen. OK, Adam right. might have on his own been able to say, no, I'm, I'm not interested in that. Adam abdicated his role. As God said, you listen to your wife. Uh, Adam was the one that was given the command. He was supposed to teach his family these things, as we see throughout the rest of the Bible, teach his wife uh, this thing. And he had taught her to some degree. Obviously, she had some familiarity, 
but he's not there. He's, he's he listens. He he's not taking the leadership role. Then Satan sees her as vulnerable and says, all right, well, I'm going to put some ideas in her head. And she goes along with it because, again, she is the submissive role in this relationship. And since she still holds that role, even though she's passing her husband. And and so that's how this stuff comes into society is men step out of the way. Satan attacks the women. The man doesn't have the the just the the strength to step in and slap the fruit out of Eve's hand and say, honey, no. Hey, what are you doing here? Well, he gave up her role. She takes it. She falls vulnerable. I mean, this stuff is repeated throughout the Bible, through it repeated throughout history. And so that's that's how you get here. So and now it's a movie trope and we can't get you know, we're not getting away from it. And we're leaning into the movie tropes because it became a trope because it was kind of a stereotype and guys started allowing it to happen. Then when it became a movie trope, now it's almost like the Homer Simpson dope. Like now that's almost something that guys aspire to in a way. <laughs> I'm kind of like Homer Simpson. Like, no, that's not something funny. That's not the movie tropes we're leaning into more than saying, hey, wait a minute. That's not respectful like that. I, I'm going to get respect in my own home. Instead, we just play into the Disney dad trope and think that that either makes us endearing, funny or once again, a good boy. Go for it. The key word is the key word is respect. Um, and we're going to get into why that is so. I mean, we've all heard why that's so needed in marriage, but in church leadership, you've got to have it. And if I'm going to go ahead and, and preview this part and then we can move on to the next portion of this. But in pretty much every congregation I've ever been in, the guy the guys in the room, the husbands in the room are the ones that get pot shots from the pulpit. They're the ones that get the jokes made, made of, they're the butt of the joke. You know, ladies are never the butt of any joke from the pulpit. And so what is that doing? That That's conditioning your congregation to not respect men, to not respect the husbands, to not respect the fathers. And so that's, again, we'll save that discussion for later, but that's why, that's why respect is such a key word. Because if you've got guys and dads and husbands that are playing into the Homer Simpson, Peter Griffin, Disney dad trope, they're not going to get respect from anybody, their kids, their wife, their friends, anybody in the church, anybody. And so I want to switch into why does I brought up Andrew Tate earlier. You brought up Joe Rogan, guys like that. Why is that appealing? And I think the first portion of it is respect is because people look even even females can look at somebody like, uh, again, we'll, we'll just use his name, Andrew Tate, who is pretty well, not a great person. He's done some really awful things, but he is he gains a lot of people's respect. Why? Because he's going somewhere. He's doing things. He's achieving. He's conquering. He's not just sitting there waiting for the pat on the head. He's not just sitting there waiting for somebody to give him approval. Doesn't care about that. I don't think any of young man should ever, uh, you know, aspire to be Andrew Tate by any means. But that's why they have appeal. That's why guys like that, again, even among females, have respect because of the confidence, because they're chasing something, because they're pursuing something. And so let's talk about that other end of the spectrum, which I think all three of us would agree is way too far of a pendulum swing in the wrong direction. But why has that been something that's been on the rise lately? Again, the Andrew, there's other masculinity gurus. He's just the most famous. So that's why we're going to keep invoking his name. Anything else to add there as far as why that has appeal and why that's gained popularity? Well, yeah, you're right. It's an overcorrection. You guys had a really good uh, godly young men episode on taking yourself seriously because everything we've been talking about is not taking yourself seriously and you feel like you have to do the self-deprecating thing to get respect. Oh, I'm just an idiot. Oh, I'm just, you know, uh, out of shape. I'm a slob. I'm a this. I'm a that. Oh, my wife is so much better than me. I don't deserve her. And so anything that you get is is somebody like taking pity on you. You're trying to get them to take pity. This yeah, Andrew, yeah, this Andrew Tate thing is I'm going to go out and take it for myself. I'm 
you know, I'm the man, I'm the greatest, I'm, I I deserve all of this. And it's like, well, yeah, that's clearly an overcorrection, but you want to have that confidence in yourself where you can say, I bring value to the table. I bring value to my wife's life. I bring value to my kid's life. I'm providing, I'm, I'm stepping up and fulfilling a very important role. Not look at me, man, I'm, I'm the man, I'm the greatest, but like, yeah, I've got a purpose here. I'm, I'm not a loser. I'm, I don't need to, you know, do the, the self-flagellation so, so that my wife will come in and go, oh, no, no, honey, we, we love you. We appreciate you. Like, you get your respect because you earned your respect because I know I'm doing a good job. You know I'm doing a good job. I'm bringing my best to the table. And just, again, the overcorrection is coming in being like, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest ever. Every, you know, everybody should look up to me and you're not cool enough for me. Like, you don't need to go that far. Just a, go ahead. Another, just another example, and Joe, then I'll hand it to you for your uh, take on this part of the discussion. But could you imagine if you had a five-star general walk into the room and he's going up to all the to the all the lower soldiers, the privates or whatever? Yeah, I, I'm just really not that great of a military guy. Yeah, I'm you just should the have worst. My job. You you honestly could do my job better than me, and you know, just self-deprecate. No, like that that guy walks in the room and he immediately has respect, and he doesn't have to do any of that stuff. You see, but like we as husbands and we as fathers, for some reason, expect that we can do that and that it'll gain us respect. No, it doesn't. It gains the opposite. It gains people looking at you like, okay, are you really equipped to lead your family? Are you really equipped? You know, even though they might do the, well, no, you're really not, you know, build them up. What's everybody saying in the back of their mind? That person's not really fit to be a leader. That person's not really fit to, to, to lead in their family. You don't see the five-star general doing that. Sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Well, I'm going to say just briefly, the funny thing is that the overcorrection, you know, I'm the king, I'm the greatest, I'm the man thing is also insecurity. You shouldn't need to say it. Like it it should be abundantly obvious to your wife, your kids, and everybody else. To further the analogy, the five-star general also doesn't have to do that. He doesn't right. walk Look, in. I'm excited. Here's I, my stars. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I think you both hit on something very important, which is women need, and, and really they want to follow a guy who has not made the woman the object of, of his passion, the object of his purpose, his desire, everything else. He has to have something, and this goes back to Adam in taking dominion. He has to have something that's greater than her. If she's the end all be all for him, then once he has her, where does he go from there? Now it's just a matter of keeping her or losing her. He can't gain anything else. A woman wants to follow a guy that has vision, wants to follow a guy who says, I can be a help meet to you. And this is hardwired into this. This is why the bad boy has appeal. Because Andrew Tate doesn't come in and go, please, 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 please just sleep with me. Please sleep with me. He's going, hey, this is where I'm going. I'm building an empire. I'm doing all this. And again, the guy is not, we keep saying this. He's not somebody to achieve. or He's not to a role model. To, but not at all. By any means. However, he comes along and says, I'm doing this and women want to follow greatness. Women want to be a help me because again, it's a God thing. It's hardwired into them to follow greatness. So as you're looking at the bad boy, they provide a sense of safety. You'd say, no, they don't. The good guy does. No, there's a sense of safety in knowing if somebody comes up to get me, my husband will beat the snot out of them because I know he can. And I know he will. Like there is a, the dangerous aspect to it dangerous men, as Jordan Peterson would say, there's an element to that that's so safe and comforting. And for women, they want security. They want to know their guy's not a weenie. They want to know that he's actually going to protect them and that he's going somewhere in life. And his going somewhere is not to get $50,000 a year job and sit on so he can spend time with her 24-7 while they're going broke. I wanted to zero in on something that you said there about 
the girl or the wife can't be the number one uh, pursuit because some people might hear that and go, what the, you know, the husband should be pursuing his wife above all else. And you said that you don't think that's the case. I agree with you because we've talked about this before, but I don't know if you wanted to elaborate on that because it is exactly right. Cause you see this with when guys get married or I guess before guys get married, they'll have all these dreams. They'll have these visions. They're chasing things. They find a girl. And for a lot of them, not all of them, but what happens, all that ambition goes away. All that, you know, you know, yeah. plans and the dreams and the visions, it's gone. Why? Because they 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 turned that pursuit into, well, I'm just going to pursue this girl. They get the girl, and then they usually gain a bunch of weight. They just sit and watch TV with their wife. All their, there's nothing that they're pursuing because they made the girl the number one source of pursuing. And so, I, again, people might hear that and go, so you're saying the guy shouldn't pursue his, you know, the girl above all else? Pretty much. Like I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, Joe, because that's exactly yeah. right. Well, we were talking the other day on a gym episode about fame and how fame is something that once you have it, you can either keep it or lose it, but you can't gain it anymore. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Technically you can get more followers or whatever, but fame is, is fickle and fame is something that will leave. Um, and so you're always doing something to keep it or, or you're going to lose it. And so you see these people that are just desperate. It works the same way with a woman. Once you have her and she's been the, per your very purpose in life is to get a wife. Now what? Now what? You can either keep it. And so you're doing everything you can, which is good boy. This is nice guyism. You're doing everything you can to keep it or you're afraid of losing it. You're operating out of a place of fear instead of operating out of a place of, look, I know who I am and I'm, I'm heading here and I'm really glad that I have my wife. I mean, I think about this like I'm trying to grow a private practice. I'm trying to do a lot of things in my life. I come home every day to a clean house and, and food on the table. I could not do that without my wife. My job and my life is literally impossible without my wife. But my wife has to know I am pursuing greatness in whatever whatever way I can. That provides her comfort. That provides her security. That provides her safety in knowing it's not just all for you. We're doing something amazing that's going to be multi-generational, hopefully. That's what a woman wants to see. So no, when you make the woman like, I've got the woman, now what? Now I just got to keep her happy, happy wife, happy life instead of, okay, my wife is on the mission with me the same way Adam had a wife to be a help me on his mission. His mission didn't change. Oh, Adam, now that you have Eve, now just keep Eve happy. That's all you can do. You know, you really need to pursue the wife. Adam didn't even know that he needed somebody. God's the one that said it's not good to be alone. God's the one that brought all the animals to him saying, clearly there's nobody for you. He allowed Adam to see his need before he filled the need. But the huh. need was not, I have to have a wife. It's like, man, I got a relationship with God. I've got to take dominion. I've got to care for the garden. I got a lot of things on my plate here. Um, here's a wife to help you along in that and to bear children to pass it to the next one. Right. That's the idea of the help me. And what you see with the feminist household is she's got her mission. He's got his. And as long as they can kind of like go on the same path together, it's great. But, you know, you'll see where her career is pulling her one way and his is the other way. Like yep. there's this big friction that's going to be there. But then a lot of the people who are listening, a lot of the, the people who might benefit from an episode like this, it's not feminist. It, it's not where she's trying to run her own program and he's trying to run his. It's maybe he's not doing enough of his. Maybe I ran into this own problem. Am I uh, because again, I was raised in good boyism. I was raised in nice guyism. And so it was just that thing of keep your wife happy, do what she wants, do it. And and she's just looking like, please lead me somewhere. Please give me something to be a part of. Please, like she's a very good, submissive Christian woman not trying to be a feminist and run me over, but she's just like, you got to do something. You know, like you've got to have something for me to follow and you're not going anywhere. Uh, I want to say one more thing on the Andrew Tate thing before we move on. The thing that I, just, 
I get a little bit of a chuckle out of this is how many Christian guys will sit there and be like, Andrew Tate. Oh, that's awful. That's awful. And it's like, we agree. I mean, the man is a total degenerate. Yeah. The other thing's bad too. And I, I use this analogy before. It's one of my favorites of if you're driving your little broken down car on the interstate, driving 20 miles an hour and a Ferrari passes you at 150 and you're like, Oh man, that's so dangerous. I would never do that. Like yeah, you can't. Okay. Like, but the other thing is, you're also endangering people. It's by just driving. as dangerous, right? Oh, yeah. You're, I mean, yeah. you are a sitting duck out there for yourself and other people. You're in the way. You're a problem. You can see how the other guy's a problem. And boy, you're just ready to preach at how big of a problem he is. Like, great. You're never in danger of becoming Andrew Tate. Don't worry about that. Why don't you worry about getting up to the speed limit first? And if at that point you kind of overshoot a little bit and you're going too fast, we'll deal with that when you get there. You're not in danger right. of that. Okay, let's let's. Man, we like to take the hammer to Andrew Tate. How many Andrew Tate-esque figures do we have in the church? I mean, if it's by percentage. I'm going to say not, like. It's not right. 1%. It's not one. How many nice guy right. figures do we have in the church? It's way more than 1%. 80%, okay. It's, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to like be too insulting, but it's a really big number. Okay. And so the, the fact that we spend so, so much time decrying Andrew Tate, it's like, let's get onto the other thing and worry and about that And you got the later. guy that's. You got the guy that's 50 to 100 pounds overweight sitting. He's a keyboard warrior talking about how bad Andrew Tate is. And wow, this guy's godless. And it's like, we agree. He is. But you're, you know, your wife's having to work. Make your you're own not bed going first. out and chase anything. <laughs> that's exactly it. Your wife's having to work because you don't make enough money. You're way overweight. You're aloof and on your phone all the time. Your kids barely have any relationship with you. And you're going to go after this guy and talk about how bad he is. It's like, yes, uh, to so, the Jordan Peterson point, make your own bed. Start with cleaning your own room first. This is something that I, I firmly believe I plan on raising my kids this way and somebody and people, there might be a few people listening to this that just flatly disagree because the next part of our outline is talking about the other side of the Andrew Tate, weak men, you know, again, kind of the nice guyism, but like why these weak men are dangerous and something that, again, I firmly believe you've got on one side of the coin, the weak guy, the nice guy that's that's mousy, that is not going to really lead, that is just kind of looking for approval. On the other side, you've got, you know, maybe not somebody to Andrew Tate's level, but the overconfident guy, maybe even the slightly arrogant guy, maybe the guy who could be accused of being too dominant. I firmly believe I would rather myself and I would rather raise my sons to be more in the direction of the of the overconfident, slightly arrogant guy. Again, a lot of people are going to hear that and go, are you serious? That's 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 insane. If you've got the two two ends of the spectrum, obviously the ideal would be right down the middle. But if you had to choose which one to be more like, I would rather my sons be more like the overconfident, slightly arrogant guy rather than be more like the mousy, weak, not really leading guy, because that is going to be a recipe to, for disaster for your family. Now, if again, to add in all my qualifiers here, if they're if they're too arrogant and too dominant and too Andrew Tate like, yes, that's also going to be the disaster for your family. But which one to, to, to Jack's point, they just brought up, which one is a bigger problem today? It's not the overconfident, the arrogant guys. It's the weak guys, the mousy guys that don't lead. And so I am going to gear my kids, my sons, I guess I should say more towards maybe be a little on the confident side. Maybe even to where some people might look at that and go too, too much. So does that make sense? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Again, a lot there's of people are going to look at that and go, no, there's no way, you know, you, you can't do that. That's firmly what I believe. There's this false like dichotomy or unfair dichotomy of, well, if they're prideful, that's pride goes before fall. And so, of course, that's humble. We're talking, it's not just pride versus humility. We're talking about the guys. It's its, its own set, a set of pride, really kind of in the 
Uh, and, and it's dangerous. Ultimately, we talked about being dangerous, man. We're, this is dangerous. Being a weak man is dangerous because you're swinging the pendulum from pride into, again, the self-deprecating, like nobody can count on you. You're weak. And, and there's well, that's respect, to the again. Yes. And the, that's other, condemned the other word, just as much. The other word I would use, you know, for the guy that may be a slightly overconfident, assertive is the word I would yeah. use. That's what we as guys need to be. And again, assertive can very easily get turned into dominance. And that's what a lot of people think or, or domineering, I guess. I want my sons to be assertive. I think every guy that's leading a family has to be assertive. To to our point that we've been talking about all episode, how many guys in the church are actually assertive? Not very many. That's the And problem. humble humble doesn't equal weak or coward. Let me just that's what I'm saying. Like in terms of we pin them against each other. Just because you're humble doesn't mean you're weak. You can be confident in yourself and still be humble, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really what what we're circling around with all this is, are you a man of conviction or not? Weak mm. men are not men of conviction. What they stand for is what's going to get them a pat on the head. And so public opinion changes and 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 you see this, They've what you were saying about earlier, they've got to be the guys to get on social media. And I stand with Simone Bile. And the same thing, you know, I've joked about before when you know, some celebrity goes off the rails, Kanye West ranting about, you know, certain ethnicities and all that. And, oh man, I just think Kanye's terrible. It's like, yeah, we don't need you to say that. What you're just trying the virtue signaling right. kind of thing. Like, yeah, we know. Okay. Like this trying is trying to gain approval. Right. Yes. They want me, the pat on the head. People, they, they do the profile picture change to the flag of whatever country, like nobody ever changed it to Hawaii for some reason. That's kind of weird, but Ukraine, you know, I'm, oh, I'm so pro Ukraine. Like good for you, man. Like, Yep. You just got a virtue saying because you're not a man of your own conviction. You just do what you're told. You saw this with COVID. So many people. Well, I'm you know, I'm a, I'm standing up. No, you're not. You're just doing what you're told. OK. And and so you don't you're not a man of conviction. When somebody is a man of conviction, they can be wrong, but at least they're responsible for that. They've signed their name to it. They said, here I stand. This is what I believe in. And you can they argue it. it. Yeah, they own it. And, and weak men don't own it. And you see this in like political leadership of like a Justin Trudeau up in Canada. The man's a train wreck. He's a weak man. He, yeah. He's just constantly pandering and catering and doing all the things he thinks he's supposed to. And, and you, you complain about the woke slide. All of this comes from weak men. All of this comes from nobody saying, all right, look, yeah, we need racial equality. Yeah, we need all these things, but this is too far. Like when I get up to give a speech, I've got to like self condemn myself and all of my people because of, oh, we're just not good enough. All Nobody, there's not the conviction there to be like, no, this is not enough. And so that creep just keeps going in the wrong direction because weak men can't stop it. And so weak men, not only are they a, a, a doormat for bad ideas to just march in the door, they help it along because, oh, I'll get approval if I am one of the people, if I'm one of the tattletales, if I'm one of the, it's really sick. It's really twisted the way you see it play out. And I don't know if we had anything more to say on like, ways you see it come out in, in the real world like that. But we had Bible nice guys we were going to talk about briefly as well. Are we ready to get onto that? I, I'll just, yeah, I think, but let me just say this real fast. Cause you mentioned the political, look, we're not a political podcast in, in, in any sense. We're not endorsing anybody, nothing like that. There is a reason why Donald Trump has so many followers, though. The guy is a massive jerk and has some serious problems. He is assertive. And you see this DeSantis the other day. Anybody see that clip? We're like, oh, will you support Donald Trump? Yeah. Will you support Donald Trump, you know, if he's indicted or whatever? And if he ends up being the the nominee and the right half of the stage, everybody's hands go up. Well, you've got Vivek Ramaswamy that just stuck his hand up immediately. Oh, yeah. Immediately. Loaded, and like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then DeSantis, who's right down the middle, oddly enough, it's right down the middle, takes a look to his right, 
Nobody's holding it. Takes like just left and sees it. And then like at the, you know, clearly five halfway seconds too late. Halfway puts it up. Halfway puts it up like, yeah. That's the problem. This is why Donald Trump has so many followers is the assertiveness. People want competence. And they want confidence in their leader. And man, that he does not lack for it. So again, I'm not endorsing one thing or the other. It's just a sociological study in people want the guy that though he may be nuts somewhat, you know, he may have his own issues. He knows what he's about. He's confident and he's not. They want the guy who's not going to look to his right and his left to see what what everybody else is saying. That was not a good look. So sorry. Just wanted to say that before we jump into the Bible. Nice guys. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's get into it. So Go, go for it. Yeah, uh, the one, the first one that comes to mind for me is Ahab. I mean, you've got Jezebel, the woman running the show, uh, a very wicked woman. She's Phoenician. She comes, you know, Baal worshiping people, and she wants to bring that in. And Ahab goes, "Yes, honey." Uh, and uh, you see, he's got that complainy, mousy thing of when he he gets together with the king of of the southern kingdom of of Judah, and they're going to go to battle together. And the king of Judah is like, "Well, I'm not sure. Can we consult the prophets?" And and he gets a bunch of yes men to tell him what he wants to hear. And the king says, "Well." Is there anybody that like is an actual prophet? And what does Ahab say? There's this one guy, Micaiah, but man, he just uh, he always says bad stuff about me. So I don't like him. And the same thing with how he deals with Elijah. Like he can't stand Elijah. He's going to have Elijah killed because his wife doesn't like Elijah. Yes, dear. You know, I'm look, I'm a good husband. I'm going to and like no leadership at all. And and he's when you, you start it's also you're going to power rank was, the worst kings they ever had. He's right there at the top. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's not a coincidence that he's pretty well recognized as the worst king in Israel's history or Judah's history, whichever one. I think he was Israel, Israel wasn't he? Yeah. 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 And all because he lets his wife lead. You see this with Herod as well, where Herod and John the Baptist oh, kind of have yeah. this like back and forth, right? And then and his wife comes in. It's the thing, man of no conviction. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And they come and, you know, they, they do dance or whatever. I'll get you anything that you want. And it's the head of John the Baptist. And instead of being convicted, going, hold on now. That's not, nope, what's he do? He goes forward because yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. And now you fast forward 2000 years later. And what is the advice you get on your wedding day? Make sure to remember, yes, dear. No, no, that's what got the world into trouble is Adam saying yes, dear, when his wife tried to give him the the fruit. So Solomon, I would say, is another example of, of a biblical nice guy. He gets these, all these women. And I mean, clearly they turn his heart away from God, as it says. And so he didn't, he wasn't ultimately a man of conviction for a guy that knew so much wisest man to ever live wrote what three books or two books of the Bible and, and some Psalms and whatnot. Um, Could you imagine day, no real conviction. quick if somebody told him happy wife, happy life, and he's looking around going, I got 700 of these to keep happy, man, this <laughs> is going to be a tall task. <laughs> the funny thing with him though, is like so many times we're, we're, we're creating this picture of a mousy man. Solomon is very useful in this, in that you can be highly successful and accomplished and all that and still be, Mr. Yes, dear. That's so true. A good boy. And uh, like, because why did he need to bend to their will? Why did he need to say, you know what? My wife wants wants to bring her Egyptian idols in. And I, I, you know, I happy wife have it. You're Solomon, man. And if you don't like her, you've got 699 other ones like. But it just shows this this instinct that they that that is there to. Yes, dear. And uh, man, it just leads down to the the split of Israel and everything that came out of it because he was a nice guy. And this well, is going to be a popular. Go ahead. Sorry, go for it. Finish this. No, I was just going to bring gonna... up the other guy. So go ahead. This is going to be a slightly unpopular point uh, because people are going to listen to this and maybe get mad at me. I think there's a lot of nice guys because they're afraid their wife isn't going to sleep with them. 
that's going to be taken off the table. I think wives use sex as a, and I see this a lot. So I'm backing this up with, with anecdotal, I guess, but basically statistics, women use sex as a bargaining chip and guys really don't want to lose that. They want, they don't want to take it off the table. They don't want their wife mad at them. They're afraid of the confrontation. They're afraid of what it means. And so it's just this back and forth where she uses the bargaining chip and he goes, yes, dear. Yes, ma'am. You know, I'll make sure to do this. And then he gets what he wants and there's no love. There's no passion in it. There's no song of Solomon, you know, esque uh, love life. And you got to wonder if that's why Solomon, why in the world would he capitulate to the Egyptian, you know, to, to all of these different women with their gods? Why would he do it? I don't know. He should be like, he's got a thousand women to sleep with, but still there is some level. I would say in this day and age, that absolutely comes in. She will take that off the table if I stand up to her. And I just wanted to make that point here. That may be unpopular. People may be ticked. But women, if you're doing that, sex is not Which is very much, yeah, that's what I say. That's an indictment on the women. I mean, it's an yeah, indictment on the men too. But that it's is an indictment on both, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and so then when it does occur, it I mean, it's furthering the nice guy thing because she's doing it as a favor to him. You know, she she has it to give, right? And, right. and so she has... Okay, you've done enough to get it. No, this is a mutual thing. I mean, First Corinthians 7 is you own each other's bodies. And yeah, that gets abused in the other direction, but it also gets abused in this direction of withholding and, and you know, holding it over his head and making him dance and be a good boy for it and all that. Like, that's awful. And, and once that's again, you, what's... Get, you get the red pill just... guys who are like, the relationship's not worth it because she can do that to me. She can just mess, yep. mess around with me and I'm not standing for that. And so you got all these guys going, I'm not going to marry a woman. I'm not going to go near women because it's not worth it. That's wrong. But on the other hand, if that is going to be the dynamic of your relationship, yeah, it's, it's probably not worth it. That's why God said, don't do that. Go ahead, Will. What's not present in those situations, once again, to be the dead horse, is respect. The wife doesn't right. respect the husband and the husband doesn't respect himself because yeah. he knows that he's just having to do what he's told and he you know, wants to have a fun night. And so that's what he's going to do. There's no respect there. Go ahead, Joe. And then I'm going to get there. Into the, yeah, the I was going to say, I'm going to I'm going to give you your point. But there is a silent epidemic going on of women leaving men, women divorcing men, women cheating on men. That nobody's divorce talk- initiation. Correct. Nobody's talking about this. Nobody. And so we're going to be the first to really get out there and talk about this. That is wrong. I'm seeing it more in therapy. I'm reading about it. This is taking place like on mass scale and nobody's saying anything about it, that women are holding all of the cards in the relationship. They're using every last bit of power they have. And you could say, oh, well, the men are abusive. No, no, no. First off, I don't care what the situation is. Cheating on your husband is, you know, things like that. There's no excuse for it. Second off, the initiating divorce, we've given the women all the power. And this is from nice guyism. This is from being a good boy is you give the women all the power. They don't respect you. They find another guy they do respect. He happens to be on Facebook. He happens to be a, you know, whatever it may be. And guess what you find yourself doing? Absolutely not. So this is happening more and more. I'm seeing this lots, actually. Um, we got to do something about this. And the first thing that's going to have to be done is guys going to have to step up and go, enough is enough. I don't, and this is going to sound really mean. So yeah, I'm going off soapbox here. I don't need you. I want you. I don't need you. I can accomplish these things if I must. But when the woman goes, you need me and I don't need you. And that's really the basis of feminism. Anything you can do, I can do better. You're seeing a lot of this in the church where the woman is initiating these things. And, and you know, enough is enough. We have to have guys step up and put an end to this epidemic. And the man has to take back the power in the relationship because it's only biblical. Sorry, Will, go for it. No, let's let's go ahead and get into the the where we see this in church leadership. I, I'll real quickly address. We brought up Solomon. We brought up Ahab, Herod, kind of the biblical nice guys. Consider the alternative of that. Paul, 
Peter. Obviously, Jesus. I think of Paul opposing Peter to his face. What if Paul, as the nice guy, of course, not trying to appease a woman in this case, but just, you know, just to keep the peace. Yeah, you know, I guess Peter's fine, you know, you know, treating the Gentiles differently. It's really not that big a deal. I really don't want to cause a certain. No, Paul says, yeah, I withstood him to his face. You know, I I did not. Yeah, I did not care that it was going to cause ripples and it was going to be controversial. I mean, and then you got Peter, Mr. Rambunctious, like Mr., you know, kind of to the uh, to his detriment in many cases. But Peter was certainly not. Um, one of these nice guys, one of these weak guys. And so to my point earlier about you've got the two ends of the spectrum, which guy would you rather be slightly more like? I'm pretty confident in saying that Paul and Peter um, and, you know, you could throw David in there and other guys, they weren't towards the nice guy, weak guy side. You know, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But let's let's get into because we're, we're coming up on 50 minutes here. Um, and Jack, I know you've got a, a book you want to preview. So I don't know if you want to go ahead and do that. And then we'll get into the, the church leadership. Yeah, I just want to tell you guys, this is a third week in a row. We've got a, a book pre-order rollout uh, for you to check out. And so this one is called Transformed Faith. Uh, it is by Dr. Brad Harib and myself, actually. And uh, it, it's seeing the world from the Christian worldview. We we take 13 of the most pressing topics of our day and, and get into it. And it's just a collection of essays. It's writings that Brad and I have been doing. This is something to Focus Press that we have really been big on is... The Christian worldview is how to apply your Christian faith. It's not just on Sunday morning. It's it's everything about your life. And so it's, again, 13 chapters of things like homosexuality, transgenderism, and abortion, but also things like this. There's a chapter on masculinity. There's a chapter on femininity. There's a chapter on your social media use and the time you spend and how you use it and things like that of, again, the things that you deal with day in and day out. And, and so... Uh, Brad and I have been writing on this stuff for a long time. It's a collection of our essays and articles on on different topics like that. Uh, we really hope it's a blessing to the church on developing that Christian worldview, on getting you past just baptism instruments, worship, you know, Sunday morning kind of concerns to Monday morning concerns, as I like to call them. And so uh, Transform Faith is the title. Pre-order is up now on Focus Press. Uh, it's it's currently in pre-order status, but this thing is going to be out pretty quickly. And so... Um, uh, shouldn't be too big of a turnaround if you get your pre-order in uh, in the next month or so. You should have a book on your doorstep. So check that out, Transformed Faith, and that's our, uh, our our book that we're pushing for this week. Awesome. Thank you, Jack. So let's talk about where this plays out in church leadership. We've hinted around it quite a bit. We've already kind of touched on this point. But this is where, in addition to obviously the husband and the home, this is where this is such a problem. This is where the the way the culture and society views masculinity and men can seriously affect and in fact does seriously affect i would say the vast majority of congregations you've got guys in many cases that are appointed as elders and rather than their philosophy being what's the right decision what's the biblical decision what's the decision that's going to help this congregation grow um what what is kind of the basis of a lot of their roundtable meetings well what's going to cause the least stir what are most people going to be happy with and i've railed before on They've got a change that they want to make for a congregation for the congregation. And while it's not wrong to get feedback, the philosophy of, well, let's just let the congregation vote. That way we can say, well, the majority wanted this. That's what we're going to go with. Or I've even seen it where they they came out and said, we're planning on doing things this way. We do want your feedback, though, but this is what we're planning on doing. And because they got enough people that said, ah, we, you know, we're not really sure about that. They immediately backtracked and said, oh, nope, can't do that anymore. Got to change the way we're doing things. Why? Because it's all about approval. It's all about, in many cases, what's making certain people happy. 
And again, we are none of us are arguing that we need to be abrasive and just trying to go against the grain as as leaders in the church. And again, no, no, no three of us, none of the three of us are elders. However, you see this play out in congregations. You see this played out in leadership where it's mousy. It's who's going to, you know, is anybody going to get upset by this? Okay, if not, I think we're good to roll this new change out. No, lead, be assertive. That's where this assertive word comes in again. What do you guys have to add to this? Again, this is where we see this nice guyism really play out in addition to the home. Yeah, I mean, peacekeeping is important, but it's not the only thing. Doing the right thing is priority number one. And and then finding out how to keep the peace while doing the right thing to the best of your ability, because you're going to have people get mad and leave. You're going to have people who throw a hissy fit. And, you know, it's very much a squeaky wheel gets the oil kind of thing in churches where there's going to always be the loud vocal people who don't like a decision and might even subvert and try and get a little click going against you or whatever else. you got to slam that down like that is your job. And one of the things we, we've kind of hinted at, but we haven't addressed directly that comes up in your marriage relationship, but also comes up in church, any any leadership, any structural leadership, the people who are the followers will test the leadership. What can we get away? You see this with your kids. Okay. You said not to do this. Well, what if I do this? What if I come up to this line? What if I, what if I just go ahead and do it? What if I just ignore you and do it? And your job there is to say, I drew the line. That's where it is. Your wife is going to tell you if you're a guy who's, you know, you got a girlfriend, she's going to test you. She's going to push back and be like, all right, how committed are you to leading? Who's really leading here? And churches do this with their leaders of they push back. They say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go this other way. And no, this is how it's going to be. And and you have to lay down that law out of conviction. Once again, this word we keep coming back to conviction. If you can't do that, you'd lose all respect. People, everyone gets the memo. Okay, we're actually driving this car in the same sense where the wife wears the pants in the family. Happy wife, happy life means she's you throw a loud enough car. fit and you'll get your way. Right. And so it's basically I'm leading. You're you're leading me until I don't want to be led. Then I'll take the driver's seat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're the, you're really the leader here, though. You're not. Everybody knows the situation. Everybody knows the dynamic. And, you know, I just preached on Nehemiah and the, the sermon is up on Focus Plus uh, f- uh, for our subscribers there. Nehemiah is the greatest example, like one of the greatest leader examples in the entire Bible of he has a goal in mind. He has a vision. He gets people involved in the vision. All a lot of these things we're talking about, but anything that was going to detract from the vision, he, he drew a hard line and said, we're not doing that. The sins that were still within the camp, he said, all right, we're going to get this right. The usury, they were, you know, there was uh, unfair you know, money practices that were going on. He said, we're stopping that right now. And if you're not on board with it, you're gone. You are not part of this anymore. We are kicking you out. Man, there's a lot of people that look at that and go, boy, that's just mean. That's just harsh. I can't believe he would say that. No, that's how you get a cohesive unit is when a leader says, here's what's allowed. Here's what's not allowed. I think this leads to the last part of the outline. I don't, anything else, fellas, you'd add before we get into the last part here? Well, I just want to say have- uh, as a preacher, because we're kind of talking about elders and making decisions here as a preacher. I grew up. Trained in a nice guyism, right? As I talked about, that was that's kind of just the way it ended up. Um, so I, I become a preacher, and man, you you say something, or or you have to get up in the pulpit and say something. People might leave, people might get mad, you know, like you might step on some toes, and so you dance around it to the best of your ability to try and be nice, and uh, you hope they get the hint. That's not good enough. That is not prophetic. That's not what God calls His men to do. And there's there's a lot of nice guyism in the pulpit. Let me say something about that because I see this as well. You've got the nice guy, the kind of weak guy who for virtually every controversial issue will take the very laid back, very 
Let me see what everybody else thinks approach. But that same guy will also, for a topic or an issue that he knows everybody agrees with him, he will come down and be super <laughs> yep. strong-willed about yep. stuff. Like drop he, the hammer. He, he yeah. will pret- yeah, he'll pretend like, okay, I'm really assertive about this issue that everybody already agrees with me on, right? And so I, I, I encourage everybody, you know, who's listening to this, maybe as a preacher, please don't be that person. Like you're not fooling anybody when you come out and you're real gangbusters about the issue that everybody already agrees with you on. And the issue that, you know, is not going to get you any pushback. That's another element of this nice guyism is he will step out on a limb. Not really though, because it's on something that he knows his family already agrees with him on, or his wife already agrees with him on, or his congregation already agrees with him on. It's, it's kind of a sneaky way of, you know, trying to, to again, act assertive without really being assertive. Does that make sense? I see that a a lot. Oh yeah. It's a preacher who dunks on dads on father's day because that's what everybody does. You know, that's, that's what you can get away with. Not somebody who dunks on moms on mother's day. Like that doesn't go over as well. Let me also say this though, because I know we got a few elders that listen to this, please. If you're an eldership, I think we've spoken on this before the same way that a wife uses sex as a bargaining chip with the husband. Elders can use salary as a bargaining chip with, with the preacher and they're muzzling the ox, right? Like, He's about to come out with a difficult message. The congregation needs to hear it. He preaches it and they go, pack your bags. You know, you're done. You got two weeks to get out of the, the parsonage. Like, that's wrong. That is wrong. You are using the guy's livelihood and you are muzzling the ox because he had a message that people might leave. You know what? You're not weighing it against whether people leave. You, you're weighing it against the word of God. If he pro- preached truth, you may not have liked the way he said it, whatever else. Please don't use his salary as a bargaining chip to to keep him quiet on issues when he does want to be assertive. We want more assertive men in the pulpit. This is why I push for tent makers. Be a tent maker. Don't have your, you know, we can pretty much, all, all three of us can preach whatever we want at Jackson Temple for the most part. Obviously, we want to keep it biblical. But none of us are tied to the money at, the, at our congregation. We're allowed to say, and, and, you know, we feel when we're convicted on something, we can say it. So, elders, just please don't be that. But let's get into, fellas, this last part of the outline while we look to wrap up here very quickly. What is the solution to nice guyism? We've we beat the problem to death. Hopefully, everybody understands where we're coming from. Um, what is the solution here to nice guyism? I'm going to start, and then I'll pass it over to you. First off, let me just say, don't overcorrect into jerk mode, okay? Don't, don't become that guy who is ultra domineering at this point because, well, somebody's got to take a stand, and so assertive just becomes... A jerk. Um, that's that's not what we're looking for. That's not what we're saying at all. There is a balance to be struck here. I think it is more leaning toward the maybe the jerk side right now. If you're really mousy and you have a tough time standing up, yeah, we want to. As as you said earlier, well, we kind of want to swing the pendulum a little bit back. Don't swing it so far where you're abrasive, difficult to work with, all of those things. That doesn't solve any problems. We're talking about men who are assertive. Again, men who can stand up and say what they need and what they want. Um, and who are willing to take leadership, not those who put other people down, who bully, who belittle, all of those things. What else, fellas? Yeah, so yeah, I'll throw out two words here. Um, the first one that I th- that comes to mind is competence. Like, seek competence in these things as a leader, as a husband. Don't don't play into the trope of yeah, I'm not just I'm not really good at anything. I'm kind of a loser. No, like like strive for competence, and I would say strive for more than that. But the other word is confidence, and that's one that we actually don't have on our outline, but. I'm a firm believer every guy needs to have confidence. Confidence can spill over into arrogance, and that's a bad thing. That's anti-biblical. That's not a trait that men should strive for. 
But again, you gain respect by by being confident in your decisions, by being confident in where you're going, whether that be as a husband who's saying this is where this is the direction our family's going financially, spiritually. This is the this is the direction our kids are going. This is the direction that I plan on raising my family with. Same thing as an elder or a preacher. This is the direction we're taking our congregation. This is these are the ways that we're planning to grow numerically and spiritually. If you do that confidently, that's what everybody can rally behind and say, yeah, that's, that is what we're doing. That's great. We're a part of this. It's because you're out there confidently leading them in the front of the line. It's, it's, I, I think of the, uh, the military analogy again. If that five-star general came in to, to give his team or to give his uh, army the battle plans and he's shaking because of a lack of confidence and is not brimming with confidence, what, what, what is that going to instill in the people who are following him? Ooh, yikes. You know, this is not going to be great. It's the exact same thing when you're leading your family and when you're leading your uh, your congregation. Again, you need to have that confidence. Does it mean you're always going to make the right decision? No, of course not. But do it with confidence and the respect will follow. Jack, how about you? No, I want to tag on your confidence, confidence thing with, um, uh, to use a sports thing again, just because it's kind of in the zeitgeist right now. This is a very uh, pro Coach Prime and the CU Buffs uh, podcast Uh Joe and I are, are just fans. had to bring that up. We had to you? bring it up, and and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, by the time this podcast came out, they didn't lose to Nebraska yesterday and lose Surely all the goodwill they re- built. You beat Nebraska, yeah. Yeah. but but you know he came into this program and he does go to the arrogant side. I, he goes farther than I would. However, I think there's a lot of guys, nice guys, who see that confidence and a guy come in and say, "I'm good at my job. We're gonna be a good team. I know what I'm doing. I've got a track record." He did the same thing in the NFL. He was the fastest player in the league. He was, you know, played both sides of the ball, played football and baseball. Like this is one of the all-time greatest athletes, and he knew it. And there's a lot of guys that were made uncomfortable by him knowing it. Why? Because we're we're told that's not how it works. You're supposed to stay in line. You're supposed to be a nice guy, be a good boy, let somebody pat you on the head. He got more criticism you know. than any college coach in recent memory. Yeah, and oh, yeah. and yeah, and again, he goes to the air again. I mean, the, the proverbs do say, "Let another one, you know, uh, sing your praises." Like that, that's important. Not praising yourself, but on the other hand, knowing and just walking in the room and saying, "I know what I'm doing." Okay, everyone wants to question me. Everybody wants to shoot me down. I know what I'm doing, and that confidence makes people uncomfortable. Makes guys uncomfortable because we're told you're not supposed to do that. And when we see somebody do it, it's like, "Hey, hey, he he, teacher, he got out of line." develop some confidence so to to will's point develop some confidence more more than anything to me is look at the organizational hierarchy flow chart in your family it goes god you that's whose approval you need to be seeking okay not god your wife you and you're looking for her approval looking to try and get her to sleep with you yes dear happy wife happy life if you're right with god everything's okay now this can be you're going to need help with this. You're going to need triangulation. You're going to need brothers. You're going to need guys around you to help you see, hey, you're a little bit out of line here. And and so that's important because there's a lot of guys going, well, I, it's just I'm right before God. And they're clearly not. I mean, they're just not even close. So you need to develop that sense and have people help you see your blind spots. But you answer to God. Same thing with a preacher. You answer to God. You don't answer to grumpy Mrs. So-and-so who's going to cause a stink if you preach on her favorite sin. You don't answer to elders who are going to, you know, say, well, the numbers are pretty low since you talked about, you know, not getting divorced and uh, whatever it may be like you answer to God. And and so if you're OK with him and you've got to develop that sense of what is right with God and that's OK, that's who you answer to. And if, if he's happy with you, everything else starts to fall in line a little better. There might be some difficult things that happen at first. If you're a preacher or elder, you might have people leave the church. Your wife might be really mad at you. And this is also a a slow burn thing 
I don't want somebody listening to this podcast on the way home from work in their car going, yeah, 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 I have been a, you know, I've been a nice guy. This is not good. And then walk in, honey, you need to submit. It takes time. Okay. <laughs> like if to, to shift out of that mode into something different, it's going to take time. That's a great it's, point. It's going to take about it. Yeah. Pray about it. You know, have a talk with your wife and be like, you know what? I don't feel like I've been doing my job and I'm sorry. I'm going to do it. better. Yeah. Own it and start showing the competence and the confidence that Will was just talking about. She'll see that you again. It's not talk. It's not coming in going. I'm the greatest. I'm the man. It's people can see people know and, and, and it comes out. We've said this before. It's the last thing I'll say. And then somebody else can wrap us up. People want to follow somebody who has the confidence and somebody who knows where they're going and somebody who is going to be assertive. A lot of guys think, no, pe- people want, you know, kind of their way and they kind of want to leave. No. Wives want to f- wives. Yeah, exactly. We've railed on that, railed on that before, but wives want to follow a husband who's going somewhere. Kids might on the surface, you know, think that no structure is better. Just a dad who lets them do whatever. It's better for kids. And deep down, kids want structure and a guy and a, a dad who's leading them. It's the exact same thing in congregations. You might think, no, my congregation kind of wants to run the show and they want things their way. Congregation, most, I should say, most people in congregations want to be led. They want to be a part of something greater that's led by amazing men doing amazing things confidently. That's what they want. Even though a lot of people think, you know, ah, they know they, they really want the other direction. They they want to, they want to be kind of the shadow leaders. That's not the case. Like people think that everybody like guys think that people are going to bristle at that more than they actually will, I guess is is my point. But that's all that I had to add there. Last two words. We're going to wrap up because the last thing on our outline is communal masculinity. We're going to I think we can get a full episode out of this. Honestly, guys needing a gang, needing needing somebody who's going to have their back. I think we can do something um, pretty cool on that because that is a problem we're seeing is the individualism with men. And we're kind of getting picked off uh, instead of being in a pack. But last two words I'm going to say is honesty right? The, the nice guyism, the, the good boys aren't honest. They're very dishonest because they're just swaying. It's the Herod thing. You flat out lied. So be honest, be honest with yourself first and foremost, then be honest with others. This is what I want. This is where we're going. This is what needs to be done. And the last thing is responsibility. Now authority flows to those who take responsibility. Great, great quote. Can't remember who said it, but if you want authority in your home, you better be taking responsibility. It is coming in and saying, honey, I have not been doing what I'm what I ought to be doing. And, and I'm sorry, you know, this is where we're going. This is what's going to change from here on out. And the the little books that she's been leaving, leaving on your nightstand for you to read, maybe pick it up. Not because, well, my wife forced me into it. It's like, you know what? You can actually work on, on being a better dad, on being a better husband, on being a better man on your own, believe it or not, before your wife has to ask you 10 billion times to do it. That's part of taking responsibility as a father, as a husband, as a, hopefully a leader in the church. Uh, maybe a business leader, whatever it is, take that responsibility. Authority will flow to you when when your wife sees that you are taking that responsibility. So, fellas, anything else that uh, that we want to say before we wrap up? Jack, go ahead and take us home here. All right, yeah, that's. Uh, so, are you saying this will be a part two next week, or we we'll get to the community masculinity communal? We'll talk about it. I don't know. We'll we'll, right. we'll talk about it and see what we do. We'll have to plan that out. All right. So, uh, keep an eye on more masculine. When we did those episodes a year and a half ago, people still talk about them. That's the one that's most, most cited is the, the male female ones that, that we did. That's why we want to come back. We felt there's a lot more there to cover. And I think there still is. And so uh, hopefully you gain something from this. Pass it on. Spread, you know, share it if you enjoyed it, if it helped you. I think this is stuff that is at the centerpiece of what we need in society is getting this right. And so uh, please help us spread it around. Again, remember that book pre-order Transformed Faith, and we will talk to you guys next week. 